0: I've had the privilege of ministering in some great places, but there's no place like home. Well, if you saw the title come up a moment ago, you know the title of today's talk is Taking the Killer Seeds Out of Your Bag. So you can tell right up front, it's probably not gonna be the most happy sermon, but you'll be happy if you do that. So let's just start with some happy things. We've been looking at several verses throughout this series that now, if if you've been at New Spring throughout the summer, these verses are familiar to you. Our key verse is Galatians 6 verse 8, where the Bible says the one who sows to please his sinful nature will from that nature reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life or quality of life. And I know you've heard me say this over and over, but it's just one of the prevailing themes of the Bible. When you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have two operating systems. You have two natures, and we feel that constant tension. Even if you've been a believer for many, many years, let's just say you've known the Lord closely and intimately for 30, 40, 50 years, you will still find that old nature rearing its head, wanting you to say things, do things, think things, have attitudes that are unhealthy. All of us have that, and it's a challenge. I think sometimes people on the outside look at Christians and say that we are hypocrites, and I know there are hypocritical people. Always remember, If you have a gap between what you believe is right and how you live, you're not a hypocrite. If you pretend that there's no gap, then you're a hypocrite. But there's always gonna be a gap between what we know is right and how we come short. Paul said that he was weak through the flesh, and that's what the Bible is talking about here. But even though God understands that we have two natures, we have to understand that a whole lot of our future is going to be what we choose it to be by the choices we make and how we plan. Every thought we think, every word we say, every attitude we hold, everything that we do is a seed. And those seeds are going to come up and have a harvest. And one of the things that we've seen is that oftentimes many of us are dealing with a harvest of bad seeds that were sown in the past. Many of them by us, some of them, um, I understand, from other people. And so when you understand this transition of thinking that you now are gonna plant seeds, thoughts, words, actions, attitudes, deeds, that are according to the Holy Spirit, you may have to start planting those seeds while you're still in the middle of a harvest of yesterday's seeds. And I really do believe that's the hardest thing with this whole concept, because many of us will say, okay, now I know what's been going wrong, and we start now thinking right, speaking right, doing right, having a right attitude, but we go home to a harvest That's a result of yesterday's seeds. So I want you to always hold these next two verses very closely to your heart because many of you are in that place right now. I guess all of us are to some degree. We're we're all dealing with seeds that we planted yesterday that were painful. Remember this verse. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms that those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. You know, when I, when I look at the seeds that I planted yesterday that are painful, that are coming up with a toxic harvest, I start changing and yet I'm still dealing with the harvest. I'm going to plant these good seeds with tears, but the word of God promises me, I will harvest with shouts of joy. The Bible says they weep as they go plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. So if you're dealing with yesterday's seeds that you've sown and others have sown and right now you're in a painful harvest, don't let it stop you. Don't, don't just throw in the towel and say, well, I guess my life is always gonna be this way. You have the opportunity to decide a big part of your future here. And then in Galatians chapter six, the Bible says this. In fact, this is the verse that comes right after our key verse. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will. Now the word will there is really a big word to me. It doesn't say we might. The Bible says we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So for a few moments, let us I haven't had the privilege of talking to you about this for quite a few weeks. In uh, fact, the last time I did speak to you, I think it was on 4th of July. So i tell you what I want us to do for a few moments. I want us to just pull back and see the whole big picture of the way God sees it. And this is in the book of Ephesians chapter four. In fact, we're gonna spend a lot of time in this chapter tonight. So just, I want us to see how God sees this process. Verse 17, so I tell you this and I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the lost world does. If you're a Christ follower, there should be a difference in the way you live, the way you think, the way you talk, your attitude, there should be a difference between you and people that don't know Jesus Christ. Because I think we would all agree, Jesus Christ makes a difference in our lives. Having God's Holy Spirit inside of us makes a difference. And so Paul is saying, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, I need to be honest with you about this. There needs to be a difference in the way we live. And then he, when he talks about the way the, worst, the, the way the lost world lives, he says, in the futility of their thinking... They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And, guys, you don't need the Greek translation on this. You look at the world around us today, and we see people that are in futility. They're going in circles. They can't think straight, they can't come up with plausible, uh, meaningful thoughts. And, and on top of that, they're intransigent. They refuse to change. And the Word of God is saying it's because their, their spiritual light is darkened, and then they double down on it. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, that's stuff that pleases our darker side, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. So yeah, we see that. I mean, good gracious, we're just talking about entertainment, aren't we? I mean, you you could talk about what's playing in the movies right now and, and you see what we just saw. But Paul is helping us understand that as Christ followers, that shouldn't be our lives. Look at this next verse, verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. In other words, when you came to know Jesus Christ, you understood that we're talking about a different way of living. You were taught with regard to your former way of life To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness." And we've been talking about that. We've said, as a Christ follower, you're still gonna have that old self with you, but you also have the new person that you are in Jesus Christ. You have all the history and the track record of what you used to be. And sometimes Satan comes along and tells us that's still who we are. The challenge is for us to accept and embrace our new identity in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that we're God's sons and daughters, that we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ, that we're going to live forever, that the Holy Spirit of God lives within me. I gotta be honest with you, when I wake up, in the morning and my old self is talking to me I don't always feel all those things that God says that I am but that's where faith comes in and that's where we say I've got to accept who I am I don't feel like a new person but God says I am and God cannot lie and so I'm going to accept my new identity in Jesus Christ and I do it by faith And here's the thing, the enemy will come along and he will accuse you of all your past at that moment. And he'll say, how can you be a new person when you still say this, when you still think this, when you still do these, when you still wanna do these things? That's where you have to come in and say, devil, that's my dark side. I'm gonna have that until Jesus comes or until I die. And then after that point, you can have it. The Bible says, I'm a new woman. I'm a new man in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to live that way. And I'm going to put off that old way of living. And I'm going to put on, I'm going to put on what the Bible tells us is my new person. And Jonathan and I have been talking about that in the Jesus seeds. But tonight I need to be real honest with you. And you saw what I saw where the Bible is saying, Paul is saying, I'm going to insist on this. There should be a different way of living if you know Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is going to teach us here that we need to take two killer seeds out of our bags. And to tell you the truth, and I don't counsel anymore, but in the years when I did, and that was decades when I did, I've counseled hundreds, if not thousands of people. And most of the time when I was counseling, it had to do with marriage and family. I have to tell you that when I've seen marriages break up, when I've seen relationships break up, it was almost always because of one of these two seeds. So let's look at them right now. I want to give you both of them. In Ephesians 4, that's our chapter, that's where we are right now. The Bible says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, that's deception, and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. That's the first killer seed. Second killer seed, in your anger, there it is, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, New Springers, if we want a good harvest in our family, if we want a good harvest in our marriages, we want a good harvest in our careers, we want a good harvest in our friendships, we want a good harvest in our parenting, there are two seeds that you have to just take out of your bag and they are deceit and toxic anger. We have to just determine that as children of God, because we are new people, that we're going to take them out. They're just not going to be there. Whatever tools we have in our tool bags to navigate human relationships, we're just going to have to say these two cannot be there. Now, as you can imagine, in the next 20, 25 minutes, there's no way I can even begin to say all that needs to be said about either of these two issues. So what I'm going to do for the next few moments, I'm just going to take a broad brush, and we're going to talk about deceit, and we're going to talk about anger, and I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will help you apply this to your life as I pray the same thing for me. I'm gonna pray that we hear what we need to hear. And if you don't hear it from Mark, uh, that's one of the great things. And and, and I gotta just say this. I know know that a lot of people in this era watch us online and watch us on television. I really believe God can work that way. But I think there's something special about being in the room together with other believers. I think the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Don't you feel that? I do. I, I mean, the Holy Spirit... Holy Spirit speaks to me when I'm over here in worship. So I think there's something very special about that. So you have to understand what I'm trying to say. There's no way I can tell you everything I need to tell you about deceit and toxic anger. But I really do believe the Holy Spirit of God is going to come along and he's going to talk to each of us and preach the sermon that matters. Let's talk about deceit for a few moments. It is important when we purposely mislead someone, when we tell someone something that isn't true, when we tell them part of the truth, when we hold something back from someone who has a right to know the information, that we know the source. And I, I, I intentionally did more than just talking about telling something that isn't true because our human natures will be deceitful and use part of the truth. Now, w- this series is about all relationships, but we're, we're focusing on the family here. So I just want to say to all of us who are in a family relationship, all of us that are in, just this, this goes to dating too, just all of us that are in any human relationship, we need to understand that deceit is one of the most toxic seeds. It has one of the worst harvests that we can possibly imagine. So right out of the box, as I said a moment ago, it is critical that we understand when we mislead someone, when we don't tell someone the truth, when we tell them part of the truth, we hold back information from people that they have a right to know. It's important that we understand the source because the source of that is not God. God is never the source of deceit. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse five, God is light. Whenever you read light, there light is a reference to truth. God is light, in him is no darkness. There is no deceit in God. There is no misrepresentation of the truth with God. There's no lying with God. Jesus would say this in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So consequently, if I tell a lie, if I tell part of the truth, if I purposely mislead someone, I need to understand that what I just did does not come from God, and there's no way in the world that I can put some kind of happy face on that and explain it where it's going to come out as a good thing. All lying and all deceit come from the same place. The word of God tells us in John chapter eight, verse 44, Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar. And look at this new spring, the father of lies. So if I'm ever deceptive in any of my relationships, I have to understand that what I just did does not come from God, and I can't put some kind of spin on it. What I just did came from the devil because God is truth. I think we need to understand just how seriously God takes deceit. I think it's become so common and so popular in our culture today that people have all kinds of ways of explaining it. New Springers, it's very important that we understand just how dark a sin lying is to God. Let me show you. This is in Revelation chapter 21 verse eight. We're gonna get a list of the people who are gonna be in hell. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, those the dark arts, idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I'm just saying, I think we need to take a hard look at how God looks at lying. Now, to be clear, and everybody needs to take a deep breath here, not all people who tell a lie are going to hell, because if that was the case, that would be all of us. What the Bible is talking about is someone who continually makes a practice of lying. That's, that's, their, that's their MO, that's what they do. They have a continual lying in their lives. And the Bible just wants to be honest with us. Those people won't be in heaven. Because see, truth, I mean, here's the thing. Salve, what is salvation? Salvation is believing the truth. God is so into truth. So it's critical that we understand that when we deceive someone, we are planting a toxic seed that has a horrible harvest. Well, if what I just preached is true, and I know it is from the word of God, why is deception a big part of many relationships? especially family relationships. Because husbands deceive wives, wives deceive husbands, kids deceive parents, parents deceive kids. And I'm gonna be honest with you, as a pastor for a lot of years, this is the case I think in a lot of Christian homes where there is not maybe all the time, but there's deception. There's, there's this, I'll tell you what I want you to know, I'll hold back what I don't want you to know, what will make, you, what will make me uncomfortable. Well, I think we excuse ourselves. That's one reason why I wanted to show you from the word of God how seriously God takes it because I think we've got all of these excuses hardwired into our culture today. One excuse is, it's just a small thing. And if I told the truth, it might cause conflict. So see, I I, I don't tell my wife the truth because if I told her the truth, we might have an argument. So consequently, it must be a God thing that I'm lying. Or number two, everybody does it. My friend even said, don't tell. The third one is just blank, whoever you want to put in the blank. Blank couldn't handle the truth, so I'm actually protecting them. Here's the big one. And if the truth were told, this is 99% of it right here. It's the only way I can fix, read that, control things. This is how I control my husband. This is how I control my wife. This is how I control my parents. Because if I told the truth, I would lose control. Or I don't want to deal with this now. Deceit lets me kick the can down the road. Listen to me, please, New Spring. I don't counsel anymore, but in the decades that I did, I heard hundreds, if not thousands of stories of relationship damage and take it from a guy who's listened to all those stories Deceit has a horrible harvest. Let me tell you about a couple of the results. And this is especially true for all of you who are dating or married. Deceit devastates intimacy. Some of you, you've been deceived. and, And you would be the first one to say, Mark, I've got my own stories on this. You cannot get close to a person who lies to you because you don't know what else that person is lying to you about. And always remember this, God sees to it that the truth will come out. The word of God tells us even in the Pentateuch, back in the book of Deuteronomy, that your sin will find you out. Truth will always, just please listen to me. Truth always comes out and when it does, everything that that person said comes into question. How can you be close to a person who lies to you because Anyone who deceives you or lies to you, you are not safe with that person. Here's the second thing that I've watched through all the years of pastoring, and as I said, I've heard hundreds, if not thousands, of stories of deceit. This is a weird one. Would you just take my word for this, please? Because I'm, this is going to stretch us a little bit. Deception changes the person who deceives. It it makes a person a phony. And you say, well, Mark, obviously a person is lying or not telling the truth. No, no, just hear me on something. Deception changes the person who deceives, and it's got the strangest effect. Because I have watched as deceptive people become extremely judgmental. Maybe Jonathan, he's a psychologist, maybe he could explain this to me. But there's something about a person who's got something dark that they're hiding that all of a sudden they become extremely judgmental. I, I don't. I mean, it's an important thing to have standards and to believe in right and wrong. That's not what I'm talking about. But some of you know what it's like. You're, you've got a person in your life that's just like over the edge. They're always so ultra judgmental. And I got to tell you, I run into that from time to time and, 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 and I don't, I don't, have, I don't guess specifically, but I always say to myself, that person is hiding something. And I've seen so many stories like this, but one jumps to my mind. This was back at a location many years ago. There was a couple in our church. And the husband was a wonderful man, a godly man. And as far as I knew, his wife was... I didn't know her as well. But they asked for an appointment with me. They came in, sat down on the couch across from me in my old office. And she starts telling me about all the horrible things that her husband does. And I'm trying to like sort through it. I'm like, well, those may be not the best things in the world to do, but they're not all that horrible. But she's just going on and on and on about these things. And I don't know, perhaps it was just the Holy Spirit. I excused him. And I said, Would you step out for just a moment, please? And I looked at her and said, Do you want to tell him or do you want me to tell him? Five minutes later, he came back into the office and she confessed that she'd been having a long-term affair. I'm just telling you, deceit changes us. I mean, there's something about deceit that makes a church lady out of people. I mean, you gotta be really old and know the Saturday Night Live thing. (laughs) It's like a lot of you under 30 years, like, I have no idea what Mark's talking about. Okay. Now, let's go back to what the Bible tells us. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 25, the Bible says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. Now, you know, Jesus said the truth will set you free. A little boy heard that in Sunday school and he said, It may be true, the truth will set you free, but it will get you in a lot of trouble first. Well, yeah, that may be true. But hear my heart on something. There's something about truth in a relationship that has a wonderful harvest. Seeds, listen to me, New Springers. Seeds of consistent truth produce a harvest of safety. If you're in a healthy relationship, and I understand every once in a while someone's married to a guy who's not healthy, and, and, and I understand that, that. But I'm just talking about you got two healthy People in a relationship, not perfect, but basically healthy. If there is consistent truth in that relationship, there is going to be a harvest of safety. In fact, there's a beautiful line in Proverbs 31, because Proverbs 31 is this magnificent uh, treatment of the godly woman. I I think the last time I preached on it, I preached it at my mother-in-law's funeral. And there's a line in there that says, the heart of her husband safely trusts in her. And that can be said about a godly husband. The heart of his wife can safely trust him. You show me a relationship where there's consistent truth and I will show you people who live in safety. From time to time they may have to hear something they don't wanna hear. Someone may have to say, you know, I did something and it wasn't smart, but I just wanna be honest about it and come clean about it. There's something about that environment that is safety. You know that. I mean, think about how you feel with a person who has no hidden agendas. Always tells the truth. What you see is what you get. Don't you feel safe around that person? If you can find someone like that. Honesty brings safety. And safety, someone can say, well, Mark, if I told my wife everything, if I I was honest with my wife, then she might just sit on me no you, you might be surprised see safety brings freedom I mean, this is a terrible story I don't know why I'm telling this I guess that's what old people do <laughs> I got my driver's license and the week after my driver got my driver's license I mean it was the beginning of school my birthday is on the 25th of August so school was always I was always the youngest kid in my class um I guess school starts earlier now, but I remember I I was involved in a lot of forensics, a lot of debate. My high school was putting on an invitational tournament for forensics for the entire state of Texas. Schools from all over Texas were coming to be part of this, and I was helping since I was part of the forensics team, the tournament, and I just got my driver's license. I think it was just one of the first places I kind of drove on my own was to, I didn't think I maybe drove to school and home, but I was driving to that tournament, and Uh, The first night I was at the tournament, Uh, I was supposed to judge a round of debate from a couple of schools in Houston, and they assigned a timekeeper to me, a freshman named Mary Alice McDonald. (laughs) And the next day, when the tournament was on Saturday too, I remember her dad had dropped her off and she didn't have a ride home. And I started to say, I can take you home. But I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call my dad and just check. And I never will forget, it. I went to, and all everybody under 40 is not going to have any idea what I'm talking about. I went to a payphone. <laughs> like, Why didn't you just text him? Yeah. I called my dad and said, Dad, Dad, listen, I just fine young lady met her. She's a Christian lady. She doesn't have a ride home, Christian girl. I said, is it okay if I take her home? And I never will forget what my dad said to me. He said, Mark, I know you didn't have to call me. He said, you didn't have to call me, you didn't have to ask, you could have done it without telling me. But he said, I respect you and thank you for calling. And that caused him to give me probably, to be honest, too much freedom. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've got to hustle now because I only have a few moments. Let's talk about um, toxic anger. Because if we take the seed of deceit out of our bag, it's a challenge also to take this one out. In fact, I gotta be honest, This is probably the hardest thing to put in 15 minutes talking about toxic anger. I've done series on anger. Maybe it's time for us to do another one. You know, we can talk about dealing with angry people, right? We'll we'll talk about that. So again, I'm going to take a broad brush and we're going to talk about toxic anger. Now, first of all, I want us to understand that anger can be a legitimate response. Anger is a gift to us. Anger is God's way of allowing us to respond to injustice. So... We would not cry out for justice in our culture if we did not have the ability to have anger at wrong. But because we are flawed, broken people and our sin nature gets in the way, when anger hits the fan of our sin natures, the damage is incalculable. In fact, who can begin to calculate the damage that anger has done in human relationships, maybe even in our own? So let's talk about anger for a moment. As I said, this is a broad brush um, what's the root of anger? I think there are basically three injustice. You're not fair injury. You hurt me invasion. You're in my space. Now, if those are legitimate, it's, it's reasonable for us to have a a reaction that could be angry. In other words, somebody has done wrong. We don't get mad when somebody does right or what we think is right. But because of our toxic human natures, oftentimes, well, we think about injustice when things are not always unjust. I mean, we have a whole generation in our country today that if you tell them anything they don't want to hear, they think it's persecution. And then injury, I mean, sometimes... People, people are not really injured, but they get angry. I mean, and, and, and so there are times when, when we're not really in somebody else's space, but they, they, they feel like we've invaded their space. But for all of us who want to get right and sow seeds that lead to a good harvest, how do we get this toxic seed out of our bag? And I think here's the thing many of us that did not, we kind of cruise through the deception thing. We're like, okay, I'm glad I came to church tonight. I do pretty well with that. Uh, This one may get us because anger is a problem for all of us. So how do we deal with anger, especially at home or in dating relationships, close relationships, work relationships? One of the greatest verses in the Bible on anger is the book of James chapter one, verse 19, where the Bible says, understand this. It's an interesting verb, isn't it? Understand this. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak. Slow to get angry. Could we just focus on that for a moment? Slow to get angry, because see, a lot of times the problem is we get angry too fast, and then we're trying to manage that anger. But the Bible tells us be slow to get angry. Human, and this this is a verse that I quote to myself. And I'm gonna be honest with you. Anger has been something I fought all my life. It's kind of a family, as Hank Williams Jr. used to saying. It's kind of a family tradition. You know, the Hoovers were known for for There are no pastels in our personalities. And so I I always have to, to, to deal with this just to make sure that my heart is right, my words are right, my thoughts and attitudes. This is a verse I quote to myself all the time. Listen to me, please. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Now, righteousness could sound like a stained glass word. Forget about it. It just means rightness. The moment I get angry... I stop doing good. You know, when you get angry, you don't fix things, you break things, right? And so the Bible tells us that the moment that we get angry, especially in our relationships, good stops happening. I may be right about my facts about the situation. I may even be right that I've been treated unjustly or been injured, or I may be right that somebody is in my space. I could be right about all those things. And yet, if I get toxic anger in me, I have quit doing good. Now, I don't think I've ever taught on this too much. What do you do when you're slowing down? What do you do in that time? I mean, I've heard people say that, you know, when they're, when they have this impulse to get angry, they quote the Lord's prayer. That's fine. Or the 23rd Psalm. What do we, what do we do in that time when we're slowing down? Because you know, here's the thing, (laughs) if in that slow down time, if we just keep stewing about what we're unhappy about, it'll just be a bigger outburst when it comes out. So the reason why God is telling us to slow down is he must want something to happen in that time between when we get the impulse and when we might be inclined to get angry. One of my favorite, as I said, anger has been a lifelong study for me. One of my favorite places to look at in regard to anger in the Bible is in Jonah chapter four. You remember Jonah? He was the guy that God said, go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital, of the most brutal regime, biggest regime in the world at that time, Assyria. They had a pile of skulls outside that was just a warning to anybody that might come in and tell them anything that was politically incorrect. Kind of like the time we live in. And God said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah didn't want to go. He went the opposite direction. You know what happened? He got in the storm. And got thrown overboard and God had some kind of sea creature engulf him for a while. And then when the sea creature spit him out, he went to Nineveh and preached. There was a great revival and the people turned. And Jonah was angry because he wanted God to whack them all. And when they repented and everything, he got so mad. Listen to what he said. He said, just kill me now, Lord. Just kill me. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And then the Lord replied, and here's what... the first thing to know what to do when you're in that time between the impulse and the outburst. The Lord said, is it right for you to be angry about this? It's interesting to me. The Lord didn't say, Johnny, you, you nutcase, why are you mad? He asked him questions. See, that's the thing. Statements back us into a corner. Questions give us room to think. By the way, that's just a great question. That's just a great piece of advice. If you're in a relationship, ask more questions and give fewer indictments. So let's start with the question that Jonah asked, that God asked Jonah. We want to ask ourselves these questions. Number 1, is my anger reasonable? Men, especially on this one, is it something that really matters? Oh. Number 3, parents, listen to me please. Do I have all the information? Is it possible there's a misunderstanding? I love the story of a couple that were in the mall in North Carolina. And they were probably about my age and they were walking through there and there's a teenage girl walking with a group of teenagers. And the woman said to her husband, look at that word on her shirt. Can you believe that a teenager would walk? Look at a teenage girl walking around with that word on her shirt. H-A-R-L-O-T, harlot. And You know how kids wear jerseys they are too big about that time she raised her arms up and the whole word was Charlotte. It's a jersey, Charlotte horny jersey. Do I have all the information? Here's an interesting one. Could we both be right? You know, that's something that Mary Ellis and I've watched through the years is a lot of times when we're having just a little spirited disagreement and then we, after a while we look at each other and say, okay, well, we're kind of both right. You know, there's a story in the Bible about that. Did you know that the first two missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, got into such an argument that they separated and never worked together again? Barnabas was a great encourager. In fact, Barnabas was the one who welcomed Paul into the church when the rest of the church didn't want to have anything to do with Paul because they only knew that he was a persecutor. It was Barnabas that went and heard his story and brought him to the church. And on his own credibility, Paul came into the church. Barnabas was a, had a big heart. Paul had a great brain. Well, it all came, over, it came down because of Barnabas' nephew, Mark, who, by the way, the first book of your New Testament, uh, sec- well, it's the first book written in the New Testament, second book. It's named after him. Mark was young. He, he started off on the missionary journey, and it got too hard, and after a while, he quit and left, and then some things happened in Mark's life. Clearly, he got turned around, and so Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to take their second journey, and, and Barnabas wanted to take Mark again. Paul's like, I'm not gonna take that quitter with me. And they got, the contention got so hot between these two legends, two of the greatest people of God in history, that it broke the team and they never worked together again. You know, I've looked at that story as a pastor and a preacher and a teacher, I guess, ever since I was a teenager. And I've always tried to figure out who was right. Right. Well, Paul was right about the fact that you you, you can't trust somebody who quits. But Barnabas was right that sometimes you take a chance on someone who's had a life change. And I guess when it's all said and done, Barnabas was maybe a little more right than Paul because we have the book of Mark. But they were both right. See, the, the person, this is so big, I wish I could teach on this, maybe we will someday. This is so important in marriage. The personality traits that brought them together, when toxic anger entered the picture, it separated them, and they were both right. And that leads me to number five. Even if I'm right, is it possible anger is causing me to react wrongly? Let's go back to our verse in the book of Ephesians where we started. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin, in other words, it's possible to be angry and not sin, but we have to be cautious because if we cross that line to go into sin, then even if we're right about the facts, we've reacted wrongly. One of my favorite, this is a true story, uh, I know the church, I know the pastor. There was a highway patrolman in this church who was being honored as the highway patrolman in the year for the state. And he was being honored by the governor because of the way he treated people that he pulled over on the highway, because even people that he gave tickets to would write in about how much they were impressed with this highway patrolman. And so the governor was honoring him for that. And so later on, his pastor was visiting with him and he said, tell me your secret. How, how, did, how do you do that? Because he, he knew how that sometimes people talk to highway patrolmen when they pull people over. And he said, you know, no matter how upset somebody gets when I pull them over, no matter how irate, I always remember this is somebody's dad, this is somebody's brother, this is somebody's husband, this is somebody's son. He said, that's the first thing I do. And he said, the second thing I do, I always keep my voice a little lower than the person I'm talking to. You know what? That'd be good for some of us husbands, some of us wives. Some of you wives. <laughs> we have to be very careful about that today, don't we? Okay, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm working through public catharsis with you here. Here's, here's one of the biggest ones I have to ask myself. Just how angry can one sinner be at another sinner? Let me ask you if you've ever had this happen. I know you guys never have arguments at home. Just, just pretend that you had one. I want to talk to guys first because this happens to me. You ever get upset about something your wife does and you are just about to tell her how upset you are with what she does and then the Holy Spirit of God comes to you and says, don't you do that to me? Oh my goodness. You talk about all the hot air leaking out. See, I'm a sinner. I do wrong too. Just how angry can I be at another sinner? That's a good question. Well, one more thing, and I need to close now. It's five o'clock. When you sow to the Spirit, you're not alone. The harvest is way bigger than you are. That's the good news. But now the bad. If you and I sow seeds of toxic anger, we're not alone in the harvest. I want you to read our verse again. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now that's the thing. If I get into toxic anger, what I have to see is I have to see Satan standing there with his arms crossed, tapping his foot, just waiting to be invited into my marriage, just waiting to be invited into my parenting. Because what the Bible teaches us is that when we let toxic anger get into our lives, Satan will use that. We don't want that tonight. We don't want that harvest. So what do we do? And I'll give you this and we'll be finished tonight. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, the Bible says, Now is the time. To get rid of anger. In other words, we don't hear this sermon tonight and say, well, I go out and I'm gonna think about that for a few weeks. And Mark had some interesting things to say tonight. No, no, no. If you're, I mean, if you're not a Christ follower, if you don't know God, you don't have to worry about this, I guess. But if you know Jesus Christ, you see what I see here. The Bible says now is the time to get rid of anger. Rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you stripped off your old sinful nature with all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and to become like him. Since God chose you to be holy, holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace, this is the verse I want to give you, and I'll be through. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. That word rule, all of you who love sports, you're going to know what I mean by this. The word rule means arbitrate. I mean, football season's about to start. We know, we know those guys in the striped shirts and black pants. They decide if a play is legal or not legal. They rule, they, they decide. And so the Bible is telling us this, let the peace of God arbitrate. You're about to be into a conflict with the person you love the most. You're about to be into a conflict with your kids. You're about to be into a conflict with your parents or people at work or people that are your friends. It's so easy to get self-focused in that moment and to let deceit or toxic anger come out. But the Bible says, no, no, no. Let the peace of God arbitrate. It breaks my heart to think about How many days and even hours I've spent being angry at people about things they never knew about. And finally, it resolved in my head, but for a length of time, I lost peace. The Bible says, let the peace of God arbitrate. Let it rule in your life. Thank you for listening. God bless you. See you next week.